Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. Well, if you can't tell, this message is its one of my passions. It's one of the things that I feel has changed the scope of this planet in a negative way. And that's why we need to understand what God's Word says, what His foundational truths are. And the reason that I went all the way back to Genesis is because if you throw the first book out, if you can convince people that that isn't uh, the truth, you can start doing that with the rest of the book. Because all through the New Testament, they quoted the Old Testament. They quoted Genesis over and over and over. So if anyone can say Genesis is not truth, then they can begin to say, well, neither is the gospel. Right? And that's why we have to understand, or at least have a general idea of what Scripture says and we'd be able to then be able to present the other side, if you will. Recently, I read an article in Our Daily Bread. And in this devotional, as I was reading it, the Holy Spirit nudged me and said, I want you to just share this with the people Sunday. And then he began to explain why. So I'd like you to just hear this briefly. And this is a quote. A journalist had a quirky habit of not using blue pens. So when his colleague asked him if he needed anything from the store, he asked for some pens. But not blue pens, he said. I don't want blue pens. I don't like blue. Blue is too heavy. So please purchase 12 ballpoint pens for me, anything but blue. The next day, his colleague passed him the pens. They were all blue. When asked to explain, he said, you kept saying blue, 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 blue. That's the word that left the deepest impression on me. The journalist's use of repetition had an effect, but not the one that he desired. With that said, this is what the Holy Spirit wanted me to convey to you today. If we're not careful, I believe the people of God can emphasize our dislikes or the negatives of life, which will ultimately overshadow the good things that God has done and is doing in our lives. The result is, the message that we are here to share with this earth, with this world, can become negative rather than positive, and I don't believe that's God's plan. Keep that in mind as we turn today to the book of Genesis, and I'm going to start reading with chapter 1 in just a moment. Up to this, did I say chapter 1? Chapter 3. We already went to 1. Up to this point in chapters 1 and 2, everything was what? Very good. What? Very good, according to God's own words. There was harmony, unity, peace, beauty, abundance, and best of all, there was no sin, and there was no death. Aren't you looking forward to that day again? It's coming. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's coming. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, making it the sixth day. Genesis 131. I told you last week I wanted to share just a few things with you this week. When I think of everything that God created that was very good, wow, a blue-ringed octopus. I think that thing is cool. If I didn't think I'd kill it, I'd get one. The blue dragon. Now, I think I'm putting the I couldn't even pronounce the scientific names of these things, so just go with whatever's down there. But this thing is, I mean, this is in the ocean. 
It didn't evolve. God put his best work into some of these fish. Banner fish. I just, wow. The, the hundreds and thousands that we see out there in the ocean. The seahorse. Look at that thing. That is absolutely amazing. All the little parts on them. And the colors. God did good work. I have no idea what this is called. But it is alive. And I know God made it. How about this? The lilac-breasted roller. Now, as I looked at this, I went, he's got just about every color on the palette in him or her. That's pretty awesome. The crested taraco, another awesome-looking bird. One of my favorites. Wow. Just, you know, how many have heard these things? Down in Florida, they're wild. They just run the streets in different towns and Nothing more eerie than one of these things going off at about 3 o'clock in the morning. I won't try to mimic it. How about this? You know, as much as we try to prove that there's extraterrestrial life out there, did you ever think that maybe everything that's out there was designed just for us? There is no other life out there. God created man to live on that third planet called Earth. I think it's pretty cool. How about this? <laughs> wow. He did that for us. Now, they couldn't even see it up until a few decades ago because we didn't have telescopes powerful enough. But now that we do, wow. It is absolutely amazing. Some of the things that got us done. This is actually a star cluster. Now, I wish I could zoom in on this, but I can't. But if I could zoom in on this, this thing is at like 5,000 resolution, Andy. And you'd see every star for light years out. It's just amazing, this picture. That's why it's so full of the little white things. But that's, that's a star cluster. You see it there, NGC 3522. And then this next one. If I'm saying it right, it's Wolf Ray at 124 with M167 Wind Nebula. I have no idea what that means. But I do know that's pretty cool. And all of this, I believe, God created when he placed the stars in the universe. And my favorite was this one. This is actually from the Hubble Space Telescope. Obviously, it must have been cloudy <laughs> when it took these pictures, but... I looked at that and I went, it doesn't even look like earth, but it's absolutely beautiful. God created all this for us, for you and me. And it just grieves me that we don't give him the glory, the praise that he deserves for everything that he's, he's placed around us. I don't believe evolution is the right way. I believe creation is the truth. Because if evolution is true, then God's a liar. And the Bible says God's not a liar. He can't lie. So I trust God's Word. And again, as we go through this, and I'm going to have to take a break next week because it's Easter, all right? You all understand that. Um, so I will just deviate next Sunday's message a little bit. And then when we come back the following week, we're going to get into the genealogy and Noah's Ark. And I'm telling you, there's no reason that you can't believe that the Ark happened and that all of the things that came after that took place, including the animals being saved and so on. And we'll get into that more in a couple of weeks. So, I believe God's Word is truth, and I believe it's very difficult to accept evolution as how this all began. When God created everything, that is, in the beginning, it was all very good. We just read that. But then the unthinkable happened. In one fell swoop, 
everything began to fall apart as a result of Adam and Eve's choice to eat from the tree of good and evil. And at that very second that those two ate from the fruit, their eyes were opened and they both realized they were naked. And according to the Bible, death began to take its course. But like that pen illustration that I shared earlier, we Christians can emphasize the negative side of the story that sin is prevalent all around us, so much so that people don't hear the rest of the story that reveals how much God loved us. One of the songs we sang this morning was right up this alley. God loves us so much, and he provided a way out. He didn't leave us in our sinful state. Amen? Again, next week we'll spend more time on this. Oops, what I do? There we go. Resurrection Sunday. Our young people are putting two skits together. You're not going to want to miss that. Our worship team, you heard one of the songs they're going to sing next Sunday. That was awesome, by the way. It rocked. I loved it. It's going to be a lot of awesome things happening next Sunday. And when the kids leave, we're going to give them a little little bag of goodies uh, so that they'll have a, a, a reminder of where they just came from. But I, I trust that you'll invite somebody. This is the biggest service of the year next Sunday. And by the way, I didn't mention this, but if you didn't see it, Good Friday service right here at noon. We're going to join with uh, Friendship Church. And we did this last year. We had a great time together. And uh, we'll have communion. We'll have a message. And it's less than an hour long. So if you get here at noon, you'll be out by one at the latest. So come on and join us next Friday, Good Friday. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Father, we are so blessed to live in a a nation that still predominantly loves God. There are Christians representing you, representing the truth, and I'm grateful that we live here, but Lord, I don't take it for granted because this freedom that we have could be gone tomorrow depending on how things go. We pray today that you would build this church. And I've seen over the the years through history that the church often grows more when there's turmoil than it does when there isn't. Lord, I pray for everyone that's within hearing of my voice that you would put your message deep within our hearts that you would help us, Lord, to, to rightly divide the word of truth. And Lord, that when, we're all, when it's all said and done, that we will be able to give an answer to people who ask. That we'll be able to share the good news of Jesus with our family, our friends, with our co-workers, with the world, Lord. Use this church as only you can. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see the things of God today. Prepare our hearts, Lord, and and help us to study out these things, not just to listen to Pastor Norm, but to study out the Word of God and and to study out some of the commentaries and go to these websites, Lord, and, and just learn about the awesome things that were very good when you created them. We love you this morning, and we commit this message and this church into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. You all know that there are universal laws around us, right? There's one, gravity. If I jump off this stage, I'm going to hit like a rock right there. I'm not going to do it because I'd probably get hurt. There's also the law of thermodynamics, which is prevalent all around us. That's pretty much what drives the universe. But did you also know there are spiritual laws that work around us? Years ago, Richard Wetherill identified what he called a created natural law of behavior, and he named it this, the law of right action. The law of right action. This law requires mankind's behavior to be rational, honest, and moral. 
How do you think we're doing there? Not so well. That's pretty much my take on it too. Obviously, we're failing in this as human beings. And according to God's holy word, where there is sin, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. This is one of God's spiritual laws. I didn't make this up, he did. All right, it's right behind me. Enter God's son, Jesus. Because he took our place on that cross, we no longer will be held accountable for our sins. Once and for all, as the blood of Jesus is applied to your sins, your slate is wiped clean, and you are born again. And your name is then written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have nothing to worry about. God's got it taken care of. But there's still a world out there that needs to hear this message. And we can't keep it to ourselves. If we do, shame on us. Don't we think any more of the world than that? Where's the love that drives us? Love God first and then love your neighbor. We need to love our neighbor enough to tell him the truth. This is the truth. I believe that with all my heart. Hebrews 9.27 talks about this a little more. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Do you realize what Jesus is talking about right here? Salvation. He came to this earth so he could take our place. All the sins were heaped on him. Next Friday, Good Friday. That's what we're, we're going to actually be looking at, meditating on as we come together. How God took all that pain on himself so that we would have life. And it crushed him, according to the Scripture. But I'm thankful to God that you and I don't have to pay the price. That we don't have to pay the penalty. And that's the good news that all of us should be sharing with this world. Let us proclaim how God, as a result of his deep love for us, redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that's a spiritual law that you can bank on. Apply Jesus' blood, you get forgiveness of sins. But you have to accept what he did. You have to say yes to Jesus before all this can happen. And the sad part is there are many people on this planet who refuse to do this. Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need his blood? I'm a good person. Yeah, right. Gag me. None of us are good. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. The book of Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go through this rather quickly, but I think that you'll begin to understand some of the things that I'm sharing with you today as we go through this. So let's start out. Verse 1, chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. That's pretty clear, right? You touch the fruit, you die. What was his response? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I wonder why they picked fig leaves. They're big. Weird. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. 
Wouldn't that have been cool? (laughs) Hey, I think I hear God coming. Only in this case, it wasn't good for them. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Wow. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, do you get this? Do you get the humor in this? I know nothing of the sprinkled donuts. I mean, the evidence is there. God knew that Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree. That's why they were hiding. He figured it out quickly. The evidence was so obvious to him. Hallelujah. The man replied, It was the woman who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Notice the chain of the blame. They never accepted it for themselves. Oh yeah, I did it, God. Sorry. <laughs> I'm bad. Uh-uh. The woman made me eat it. Yeah, right, okay. Then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? Her reply, The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Nobody taking the blame. Then the Lord, by the way, doesn't this relate to us today? We get caught. What, what's the first thing we do? Try to blame somebody else for our miserableness. How many people live like that today? Well, it's not my fault that I'm broke. Whose is it? You know, really. Whose is it? We don't take responsibility anymore. And we should. All right, back to verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, the, the word offspring should be defined as seed. All right? In the uh, King James, it is seed. This is one of the places where I believe the NLT is off. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel, Scripture goes on to say. Again, Satan is obviously a spiritual being. He somehow talked through this snake, but that's, it wasn't the snake. It was his spirit that was talking through the snake. And with the woman, it's biologically impossible for her to produce seed. She produces the egg, the man can only produce this, or only the man can produce the seed. So what I want you to see here is this is a reference to the seed of good and evil. It's the reference to good and evil. In fact, in John 8:44, it talks about again the seed a little bit later, and, and it, what he says is he's talking about the devil's children, and he says, "For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you." Love to do the evil things that he does. For he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So the seed that Satan delivered through that sin is still in us today. Here's the good news though. We also have God's seed in us who breathed life into us to begin with. God, right? He blew into our nostrils. So we also have his seed in us. So what does that mean? That means that there's this battle going on. Each day we have to choose who we're going to serve. God or the devil. Do you not see that going around? Everywhere you look, you see this battle going on. Am I going to serve God today? Am I going to serve Jesus or the devil? Look at some of the things we see in the news. How do you think those people are being driven? Who are they listening to? Whose seed is driving them? I would dare say it is none other than Lucifer. 
We also need to see that this verse reveals the battle that's taking place between God and Satan. We know this because all through the scriptures it talks about this battle. And this is a direct reference to how Jesus would come through man and bring healing and how Satan would try to buffet him all the way through. Let me share this scripture with you, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Do you see that? For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So all the way up until Jesus came, Satan had that power over people. And when Jesus came, Satan thought he'd won. When Jesus was put in that tomb, he thought he'd won. <laughs> He's done. Now they're all mine. I can just about hear them. And then the clock ticked. And on the third day, hallelujah, the stone was rolled away. And he went there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And what that meant was now Jesus was ruler. Now Jesus was king over death and over sin. And anybody he chooses to give life to, it's a done deal. Through the blood. Through the blood. But that battle still rages today, my friends. Yes, Jesus broke the power of sin and death. But you still have to receive that great act. You have to say yes to God and let His blood cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. And then, in that state of confession, then you will be made a new person. Hallelujah. All that stemmed from that day in the garden. Then He said to the woman, this is God again, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. I'm sorry, ladies. And in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Do we not see this? Jen, man, you are over there duking it out right now with Bill. Like, you, you better listen. You know, it's, it's that... I don't know if this means that originally the two were just in this union together and there was no infighting, but apparently after the curse, women wanted to control things. Is that changed? It's, it, it, maybe that's one of those things you fight, right? Now, I could end there, but I should say this. If you go to Ephesians 5, it kind of gives women, you need to submit to your husband, but men, you need to treat your wife like Christ treated the church. And what did he do? He gave his life for the church. So we're not left out of this, believe me. But you see why there's this contention. And if you don't understand this principle, it can ruin your marriage. You need to see this is part of the curse that followed Adam and Eve eating from that desirous fruit in their eyes. And to the man he said, you listen to your wife. Maybe that's why we don't listen anymore. <laughs> and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you all your life. You will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns, thistles for you, though you will eat the, of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat till you return to the ground from which you were made. How is he made? From the dust, from the ground. You were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. And again, there are elements in the dirt that are in us, all right? So this isn't that far-fetched. But the evolutionists believe we evolved from chimpanzees. I'm not going to go there today. We'll get to this again, I'm sure. 
Verse 20, then the man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, because she would be the mother of some of those who live. Can it get any clearer than this? The mother of A-L-L, all who live. Eve was your mama. Eve was my mama. Why can't we see this? Well, it doesn't make sense. All those people coming from one woman. Duh. Really? Look at how many billions of people we have added just in the last half a century. And you don't think that God could have created everything around us, all of us coming from the same woman, the same man? It sure beats coming from a chimpanzee. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's not. I'm going to say more. But. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, they didn't have cars back then, so God didn't use roadkill to create their clothes. The animal was in the clothes when he created them, and therefore, what do you have to do? There had to be bloodshed. First time we see this in Scripture. Also, it shows us there's a penalty, there's a consequence. It may not immediately affect you, but it will affect those around you when you sin. They're learning this the hard way. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat? Then they'll live forever. Here's another reason why it's so important that we cannot throw out the book of Genesis. Revelation 2.7, to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life. What? The tree of life. Say it again. The tree of life. Where? In paradise. If you throw out the book of Genesis, you just eliminated the tree that this, that Jesus talked about in this passage. Then what do you do? Somehow, some way, this is going to Give us eternal life. I don't understand it, but it's going to happen. It's right there in black and white. Okay, in black and tan, if you're looking behind me. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword there, flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So obviously God doesn't want us to be eternal while we're living in our sins. However, once you apply the blood... The blood of the Lamb, which we're going to get to in just a minute, once you apply that to your life, then He wants you to have eternal life. Because then your sins won't be with you forever. You will be holy. You will be pure. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. How is that going to happen? It can only happen by applying the blood of Jesus to our sins. In other words, repent. Repent. Say that to your neighbor. Repent. Repent, repent brother. Repent. All of us need to repent. That means we turn around 180 degrees. We turn around. We stop running from God and we run to God. And then the miracles begin to happen. Hallelujah. I think this is pretty good preaching myself. Then we're going to get into Genesis chapter 4. And again, this is so important that you understand this next part that we're going to be talking about. Here we go. You ready for this? Can we talk about this in church? 
sexual relations. Let me read it. Now Adam had sexual relations. And, and in the King James, I believe it says he knew Eve. They get a lot out of a new. But that's what it's saying. He had sexual relations with his wife Eve and they didn't have they didn't have contraceptives back then so she was pregnant again and, and I think it's important for us to realize that this beautiful act of reproduction can only happen between a man and a woman as they become one that's how God designed us and it was to procreate to produce more Children, that's why marriage can only be be between a man and a woman. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. (laughs) Now, don't take that literally. A man didn't pop out, okay? You women have had 10-pound babies. You know the pain you went through. If that had been a 150-pound man, Eve would not have lived any longer. We're talking babies, but he would grow into a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Now, I believe that Eve had no trouble identifying the pain God was talking about as she gave birth to these children. And some of you women here say, Amen, brother. Amen. I I heard somebody say that uh, the only thing a man can go through that could even come close to childbirth is if he passes a large gallstone through something else that he owns. Kidney stone, sorry. Yeah, women have the gallstone. You get what I'm saying? Have you ever seen somebody passing those? Have any of you passed those? I know you have. And you're going, yeah, brother. Sweating, pain, give me morphine, give me shots, give me something. Help! But you women, God bless you. I'm thankful I'm not one for that very reason. I think you're awesome. You're a blessing to us. But I'm so glad God made me a man for that reason. And I, I love my wife, and she is, she is my hero for that reason. I watched all, I said this last week, I watched all four of them being born. All four of my boys, and everyone was a miracle. And started out, first one was 22 hours labor. Second one, about 18. Third one, about 11. Fourth one, I'm just glad we made it. Because <laughs> he just, and he was the biggest, he just... She said, you're going to have a baby. Yeah, duh. No, you're going to have a baby now. Get in there, woman. That was awesome. Romans 8.20 talks about this curse. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. And as we're about to see with Cain and Abel, the curse produced one of two responses. One of repentance, revealing God's seed. One of rebellion, revealing Satan's seed. You and I both, you and I have both seeds within us. We are capable of good, but we're also capable of evil. This is a battle that we face till the day that we go to be with Jesus. Get the victory over this. Don't let Satan have his way. Don't open the door to him. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Fight back. Pray. Fast if you need to. Get delivered of whatever's holding you back because we're required to be holy for our God is holy. Hallelujah. And you can be through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. Here's the thing. And we don't see this in Scripture But I believe that Adam and Eve must have taught their kids about their Lord. They must have. And somehow they must have talked to them about sacrificing. Or why would they be doing it, right? And 
at some point in time, they must have talked about there having to be bloodshed. Because we see that that's what Abel does. So they must have taught their kids about sin. And just like I just said here, one of them had the seed of Satan, the other one had the seed of God. What did Cain do? He killed his brother. Why? Because he was jealous. He didn't want to have to do the work. He just wanted the relationship. But Abel, Abel gave his best, his firstborn lamb, and he sacrificed him to God. Hallelujah. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why didn't God accept Cain's offering? Many believe God didn't accept Cain's offering because his offering didn't come with repentance. But by Abel offering his firstborn lamb the best of what he had to offer, he showed that he was repentant. Abel's lamb offering was also a shadow of what Jesus would become. As we read this blessed passage, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a direct reference to this very day. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you what? Do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. Cain could have repented, but he didn't. And that battle that was in Cain still rages on in us today. When we throw the Bible out, it makes no sense why all this stuff's going on around us. But when we study the Bible, we realize why these people are going out killing people. Because they have allowed Satan to master them. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian or am I my brother's keeper? Boy, if we wore that out. We are. We are our brother's keeper. Yes, you are. Cain replied to the Lord, oh wait, let me back up. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. Some suggest this might have been a possible sign of repentance here. Maybe. Not sure. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, again, this is another place where most of the translations get this wrong. This, the original word here is uth, and it actually means a sign, not a mark. God gave a sign. Don't mess with him. It wasn't like he put something physically on Cain so everyone would see, oh, don't mess with that guy. But somehow there was a sign that you don't mess with him. You with me? 
let's see. I guess I didn't have that one up there. I thought I had another scripture here. The sign was to keep others from killing Cain, but he still feared that others would kill him, and that that may have been why he became the wanderer. He was always looking over his shoulder. And this leads me to this other point. When you commit a heinous act, when you sin, what do you, do, what do you start to do? You get paranoid. You're always doing this, looking over your shoulder to see if you're about to get caught up with. Anybody else in here say amen? You know, when I used to live in that lifestyle, that's all I did was look behind me. And then I had to keep in mind all the lies that I told people because I was a habitual liar as a young person. It was easier for me to lie than to tell the truth. Why? I don't know. It's just the path I chose. But I'm telling you, I would get my own lives mixed up and they would trap me. And that often happened to me. It was no fun. Because every minute I had to be thinking, now what did I tell that person? I had people convinced I was from the band Chicago. Girls, you know, trying to impress them. It worked until one of our buddies told them, and then he took off. All of a sudden, ten guys came in. You guys aren't from the band Chicago. Get out of here. They about killed us. I about killed the friend that told them. That was another day. Hallelujah. I want to move to this next part. Cain had sexual relations with his wife. I'll read that again in a minute. Where did Cain's wife come from? A rib. (laughs) From Eve. You're on to something. There are three words. Very pure genes. Not these genes. These genes. In the beginning... They had a pure line. that Sin had just taken place. So they were still pure, or almost pure. But every generation that passed became a little more tainted and a little more tainted. We see that yet today. If you look at, here's, here's what I'm getting at. If you take a strain of dog, let's say a husky for example, in order to get that husky you just keep breeding it until you get that strain. But what happens if you keep interbreeding husky with purebred husky with purebred husky? What happens? Back hip, right? All of them have that back hip problem, so by the time they're seven or eight, they can't even walk. What is that? It's inbreeding, all right? That's what was going on here, but they didn't have that problem to start with. There was a lot of, we'd call it incest today. But where else would these kids have come from? They had to marry their own sister. If your brother or sister's in here, go, yuck. (laughs) Pretty gross. But in the beginning, that's just how it was. And as the line continued, of course, then you'd be able to marry a cousin rather than your uncle. You wouldn't have to marry your brother, but you could marry your uncle or a cousin or whatever. It'd be a little less awkward, maybe. I don't know. This is a probable solution to where Cain's wife came from. And I believe it's a good one versus coming from a chimpanzee. Cain had sexual relations with his wife. She became, oh, by the way, you'll talk about this more in your common ground today. (laughs) I'll let you guys have fun with it. She became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Erod. Erod became the father of Makuyael. Makuyael became the father of Methushael. Methushael became the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first was Ada, and the second was Silla. <laughs> Man, 
I've got the pronunciations right here in front of me, and it's still hard to tell them. Okay. Ada gave birth to Yabel, who was the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. So he was the first shepherd or whatever guy. His brother's name was Yubal, the first who played the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Tzila, gave birth to a son named Tubal Cain. He, be, he became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Now, again, a lot changed right here. When they began to use iron for swords and things, everything changed. Life became a little bit easier, and they could kill easier. So that, seeing that right there, it leads me to believe that a lot of things happened right there. Okay, Tubukain had a sister named Naama. One day, Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Silla, Hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. What I want you to see here is this is actually a poem. This is the uh, New American Standard updated version, but it shows how this would be read. And, and again, we don't get the gist of it because in the original language it was in Hebrew, but we do see here kind of how this thing flows. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Silla, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What was he doing? <laughs> Who said that? You're, you're right on, man. That's what he was doing. He was boasting. In fact... Scholars say he was actually blaspheming God. When you really look at this, what was he saying? If God's going to get vengeance seven times for Cain, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to get seven times 70. All right? You see that? 77-fold. Hallelujah. He was a big mouth. He was blaspheming God. Interestingly, later on, God used a very similar scripture. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven, but 70 times seven. You know, Jesus turned this thing around. I think God had the last laugh. What Lamech was using as a boast, look at me, I'm a man, I'm a big bad man. God turned it around and said, no. Nah. You won't kill. You won't get revenge. Forgive. Forgive. Turn this thing around. This is God's spiritual law right here. Turn this thing around. Don't hold it against them. Don't get vengeance. Forgive. Forgive. I think God's pretty awesome. Hello. Is it noon? Wow. Hallelujah. I haven't heard that since I lived in Lansing. <laughs> I'm wrapping it up. Adam had sexual relationships with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him, <clears throat> she named him Shaith. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, who, whom Cain killed. When Shath grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh, at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. I'm going to wrap it up here. You can stand up if you'd like to. You look like you're about ready to fall asleep. As I as I prayed about this message, and as we go verse by verse, I don't know if we'll keep doing this throughout the book, but at least until we get to the place where I feel like we've got a good foundation for where we came from. I want you to understand that God doesn't make mistakes. 
Everything he does is awesome. Even his plan to rectify us, to reconcile us, is awesome. It confuses a lot of folk. A lot of folks say, oh, that couldn't be. Why would God expect his own son to die for us? I don't know. But in God's mind, he thought it was a pretty cool plan. And because of God's law, that because he's holy, he's pure, he can't accept sin, he can't accept anything that's not pure, if we were to come into his presence in this state of sinfulness, what would happen? We would die. He would consume us like a fire because he can't be around it. He can't be around sin. There was the gulf that stood between Adam, Eve, and God. Their sin distanced them from him. But then Jesus came, the pure offering, sinless. He walked this earth for some 33 years, and then he gave his body as a sacrifice for all men. And through that act, you and I, you and I, can have forgiveness of sin. But it requires something. Repentance. Saying, Lord, I've blown it. Maybe this is the first time you've blown it. Maybe you've blown it over and over and over. Whatever. My suggestion, you keep coming back and repenting until you get it right. You're going to know when you get it right. When you start sailing in the Spirit. When God's best is there for you every time. When you, when you call out and it's not like your, your, your voice is hitting tin and reflecting back, but He hears you because you've got a conduit directly to Him. That's what happens when you live righteously. We see that throughout Scripture. Those who were righteous, God heard them. But those who lived in rebellion... It's your choice. But it's like putting up a big wall. Have you ever tried to yell at somebody who's on the other side of a brick wall? It doesn't work real well. They can't hear you. You might hear... That's what God hears. There's that sinner again trying to talk to me. But the second that sinner says, God, forgive me, all of a sudden, boom! The wall is gone. And God hears. The minute that you call on the name of Jesus, your sins will be washed away. That's God's promise. By grace, you are saved. That's God's law. Would you bow your heads? Oh, Jesus. We're all broken. Thanks to great, 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 great grandpa Adam. We're all broken. And we know that there is evil in us. Lord, we've all fallen short of your glorious standard. But we also know that Jesus came to save us by grace that Jesus is your gift to us. And Lord, I am so grateful for that, for the blood that has washed me clean. And and I want to pray for every person in this room, if they're here today and they haven't received this yet, let this be the day, Lord, that you get a hold of their heart. Let this be the day that they repent of their sins, turn back to you and say, God, I want that. I want eternal life. I want to live for you the rest of this life. God, change me today. If you're here and and you'd say, Pastor, I know I'm right with God. If I were to die right now, or if Jesus were to come back for his church this very moment, I know I'd be safe. I know I'd be with him forever and ever and ever. If that's you, would you lift your hand up quickly? Yes, hallelujah. All right. I'm, I'm just going to lay it out. Probably about half of you didn't put your hand up. Now, either you didn't understand me 
or you're living in sin. Again, everybody's head bowed, eyes closed. I just want to ask this. I'm asking it one time. So just determine right now, is this day the day that I'm going to repent? Is this the day that I'm going to say yes to Jesus on March the 20th, 2016? Is this the day that my name's going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Or am I going to keep on sinning? And who knows, I may end up in hell forever if I don't turn soon. I'm not trying to bully you into heaven. I'm just trying to get you to realize there's one way, and that's through Jesus. So I'm going to ask, every head bowed, eye closed, if you're here today and you want me to pray with you, you want to repent today, this is your day. Lift your hand up right now so I can see it. Yep, 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 yep. Hands going up all over the room. You can put them down. Thank you. Anybody else that hasn't already raised their hand? At least 20 hands went up. At least. God is in the business of miracles. And this is, this is the biggest miracle that he does right here. And this is where the angels are up in heaven getting revved up right now. Look at down there. Look at those people. They're, they're about to, to pray the prayer. Get ready. Get ready. They're getting the party room ready right now. Hallelujah. The angels in heaven are rejoicing because of this moment. I want you to pray with me, and I'd ask every person in this room to join me, please. Heavenly Father, I'm broken. I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. And I know I've fallen short. I've been living for myself. I've been following my father, Satan. But today, I've been challenged. I've seen the light. I believe your, your Bible is truth. And I confess my sin to you. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness, of all my sins, and make me a new person. In Jesus' name I pray. Give God the glory this morning. Now you have a choice. <laughs> you can live for Him, or you can live for Him. Don't live for Him anymore. Live for Jesus. And every day that you spend with Him, you're going to improve. Your life is going to get better. I don't know what hole you're in, but God just pulled you out, set you firmly on the ground, and now it's up to you where you go next. Don't go back to your sinning like the dog that goes back to its vomit. Have you ever seen a dog eat its own? Ugh. That's a pretty awesome picture, isn't it? But that's what we do when God's forgiven us and we go back. So don't do that. We have a book back there that's being held up the little green book, The New Life, The Start of Something Wonderful. It's a short book that has tons of scriptures that will help you stay on the right path. So if you don't have one, grab one and begin to read it. Get your Bible out and read your Bible along with it. It will help you to grow. Get back into a strong church. If you're not living in this area, find a strong church where you're at. If you don't have a church, we'd love to have you here. Amen? Amen. That said... Again, next Sunday is Easter. It's going to be a powerful message, short, capsuled. But I'm going to have some illustrations that I think will get the point across. Then the following week, we're going to talk about Noah's Ark and what that all meant for this planet. So come on back. Hope to see you again soon. We love you. Father God, we again thank you for everything you did here today. We give you all the glory and the praise for every person that raised their hand for salvation. We know, Lord, that their names are now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when they get to heaven, Lord, you're going to look it up, and there it will be. Well done. Come and enjoy this forever. Lord, we pray that you would help each one of us invite people to hear the truth. Invite people back next Sunday. Invite people back to hear the message on creation. 
Help us to be your mouthpiece. Put people in our path and keep us safe in our coming and in our going. Bless our short time of fellowship after this service and we commit this body into your hands. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.